0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Americans. This is Jerry. Uh, hope you're staying safe and hope you're staying healthy in what continues to be another uh, challenging month and more challenging times uh, for our community. Uh, on today's episode on 108, our April guest host, Marva Shi, interviews Tiffany Lowe, uh, one of her uh, favorite uh, Instagram uh, photographers and accounts. And so, uh, really excited to learn about her journey and how she ended up becoming how Tiffany ended up becoming uh, such an Instagram sensation. Uh, Marva is our guest host. She is an NYU student and also the co-director of the New York City Asian American Student Conference, which this year happens this Saturday on April 24th, virtually from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be filled with uh, some great speakers, uh, some great workshops and performances. It is free to attend. It is open to all students, professionals from New York City and all around the world. Uh, I had a distinct honor of speaking at the conference last year, which is how I met uh, Marva. And I have the honor of uh, speaking again to kick things off this year. Uh, and so join us as we share our thoughts, our lessons and our perspectives and our call to action as they, uh, the team of NISAC uh, share their uh, conference with the theme Snapshots this year. So big thanks to Marva and the rest of the team for all that they have done to put this conference together. Uh, also, one of the keynotes is former Dear's Asian Americans guest and overall documentarian badass, uh, Renee Tajima Pena. And so really excited. Go over to NYSAC, that's N-Y-C-A-A-S-C dot com for more information and to RSVP for the conference. And without further ado, here is Marva and Tiffany.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. I'm Marva Shi, your host for the month of April. Today, I'm so honored to have Tiffany Lowe, who is a freelance portrait photographer in New York City. She's been using her photography platform to experiment with making images while simultaneously normalizing conversations on the day-to-day struggles of depression and general mental health through her podcast, Window Gain. I've been following her Instagram avidly for about three years or so, so I'm so excited to have her here today. Thanks, Tiffany.
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hi. First of all, three years, I'm very shocked. Um, But yeah, I'm so happy to be here and to share a little bit more about myself and just jump into some good conversation. I'm totally, I'm all here for it.
1: Yeah, super hype. I found you like when ACN first like came up and I like saw your photography. I was like, this girl's photos are crazy. (laughs) So um, yeah, just since then I was like, this is someone that I definitely want to meet. Um, so this is my shooting my shot through a podcast recording. <laughs> um, but yeah, how are you? How's it going?
2: Oh, wow. Um, first of all, so honored that you're, you've been following my work to this day. Um, granted, I've been a little more inactive uh, over the last year just because of the obvious kind of pause that most of us have taken with the pandemic over the last year. Um, but I think asking how I've been is a pretty loaded question. I feel like I could answer it uh, based on whatever context you provided for me. I think at a very high level, like if I'm talking superficially, I'm great. The sun is out in, in New York. Um, I got my Whole Foods delivery this morning. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm really just enjoying the nice weather and, and just trying to um, jumpstart my mental health a little quite a bit and I think especially when it's nice out I tend to be a little happier um but yeah I think in terms of how I've been you know even over the last month or so it's been uh you know like so many of us in the Asian community there's just been a lot of constant processing that I've been doing um and that just goes to a number of areas right like um, just reevaluating how I've been an ally to other minority groups in the past, but I think also thinking about, um, how I can use my voice in the current space, um, what I can do, not just with my platform, but also what I can do just as a human being as I exist right now. So, um, definitely a lot of deep and some challenging dialogues I've had with myself and with friends, but, um, Otherwise, I am totally in general a person who advocates for growth mindset. So I'm here every day to just learn and grow and continue to be a better version of myself. And um, yeah, that's that's, I guess, how I'm doing.
1: Yeah, that's great. I I totally I mean, I really resonate with like what you said about like, you know, like reflecting on where we are, um, having conversations with different groups of people, especially um, reflecting on like the uh, attacks on Asians in the past couple of weeks, um, slash months, years, centuries. Um, Dear Asian Americans is about like talking about us as Asian Americans and like our stories. So um, if you could start off with how you or your family came to the US and like, tell us a little bit more about that story.
2: Yeah, so I actually don't have too much information on that. And I think That's in large part because I haven't had too many opportunities to sit down with my parents and have that discussion. I feel like this is something that um, other Asian American peers of mine have also resonated with, where it's taken us kind of getting to adulthood to, um, I guess, start exploring those questions on our own and finding more opportunities to um, ask our parents and grandparents and other relatives about just the the moving and the journey. Um, But what I do know is that my parents moved from Hong Kong. They were born and raised there. Um, I think when they were in their early thirties, they made the decision since they had gotten married in 1990, they had decided to start a family. And I think with, you know, what they wanted for prospect for their future family, they decided to move to the States. Um, So, that's really as much as I know. I wish I could provide a more uh, robust answer to that question, but that's how my family ended up coming to the States. I think around that time too, um, one of my dad's brothers had also already moved to the States and um, one of my mom's uh, siblings had also moved to the States as well. So, um, there was already just conversation around that. Um, Originally, my parents had uh, their personal friends who lived in California, so they actually stayed there for a little bit before uh, deciding whether or not to move to the States. But then um, my parents, and well, I come from a religious background, so uh, my parents were also weighing out not just education opportunities for their future kids, but also um, just spaces in the US where they knew people. With um, Asian churches planted. So I think they made a final decision instead of moving to California to move to New Jersey. So, <laughs> complete opposite ends of uh, the US, but um, they ended up moving to New Jersey, and that's where I was born and that's where I was raised. So,
1: yeah, I, I definitely resonate with the like not figuring out how like your parents' story or like how they came until later in life. Like, I've only just started to kind of unravel it, like, with my mom and, like, telling stories together. Um, but, yeah, just, like, going from there, uh, what was your childhood like? What was New Jersey like? I am mean, I grew up in California, so um, I can tell you all about that, like, California growing up. But what was New Jersey like? What was uh, – how did your childhood feel?
2: Yeah, um, I mean – the New Jersey childhood experience for me was, I mean, quite peaceful uh, for most of my upbringing. I have so many happy memories from like preschool through like my elementary school into my early middle school years. It was just a very happy time. I don't, I can't really recall having any deep troubles, um, which I'm very thankful for. Um, you know, I have parents who really valued um, just a lot of things that as a kid I resented, but obviously now in my later years, I have grown to appreciate. So, you know, putting me through different um, extracurriculars and um, I think just giving me a space and opportunity to try and learn more about myself. Although growing up, I was very um, shy and very uh, socially anxious. So uh, I've told this story before, but I have these memories of sitting in a drive through or sitting in a car with my parents. And we'd be in like a a fast food drive through. And I think because my parents didn't want to use as much English, they didn't want to order food. So they'd make me order, but I didn't like talking to people. So it just turned into this spiraling fear of, you know, them opening my window, me closing my window. I just have a lot of memories of that. Um, But yeah, I think my early childhood was just full of a lot of happiness. I just... I had um, great friends around me. Um, I have one younger sister who's like five years younger than me. So I just remember like praying to have a younger sibling and then she just like showed up in my life. So that was like really great. Um, I think what uh, changed for me in my childhood was when I was in, I think it was was right before seventh grade. And I have shared about this very vaguely on social platforms. And this is actually something that I'm... I think, like, making a greater effort to share more about, but I was in a really bad traffic accident when I was 11. And this, I mean, this has, like, completely changed the course of my life. Um, it was an accident where, um, you know, I was sitting in a vehicle and Uh, My mom was driving this vehicle and no one else in this car was injured, like thank goodness. But I was pretty severely injured and I was rushed to the hospital. And uh, it resulted in uh, just like permanent visual impairment. So this is something that I've had to deal with since I was 11. And from my kind of tail end of my middle school into my high school years, I was in and out of school, um, going to hospitals, going to specialists, going to um, other like medical clinics to do like a craniofacial, like reconstructive surgery. Um, most of the injuries were around my face. So I had to get a lot of different surgeries done, um, you know, from middle school through high school. And I am really thankful because the friends I had around me during that time were very supportive. They never made me feel like I was the odd one out. So I was really thankful for their support Um, I also had a really strong support of, like, peers and community friends through the church that I had grown up going to with my family. So I was really thankful that most people didn't really look at me differently. Um, But I think despite that, you know, I am someone who is constantly constantly introspecting. Um, So even from my younger years till now, I'm just always in my head about a lot of things and One part of it is this idea of perception versus reality, right? So even if everyone around me is being super supportive, I, in my mind, can manipulate the reality into something very twisted that's not the same as what's actually happening. And I think for a long time, I still felt very alone. Um, And I could continue down that conversation. But I think a large part of it was because I, um, following this incident, I did not seek any proper mental health services or resources. And part of that is because, you know, like for a lot of um, Asian households and families, I think the conversation around mental health is very sparse. Um, I think just the concept of mental health wellness was just not something that uh, my family was uh, very explicitly exposed to. So, um, you know, my parents didn't know to put me through some of those resources and services. And it. It it took me on a very long path, but um, I think regardless of all of those things, regardless of how I felt kind of alone through the end of my childhood, I think the reality is kind of looking back, I'm really, really glad that I have had constant support and constant outpouring of love through um, the people around me. And even though the kind of tail end of my childhood was a less uh, flowery and happy time, um, I'm thankful for the love now in hindsight. So I would say that that is kind of how my childhood was kind of broken into two sections.
1: Yeah. yeah. I was listening to the first episode of Window Game this morning. I liked a lot of what you said about like growing up and like your struggle with mental health. I really appreciated like how vulnerable you were with like that conversation. I think that it's really cool that you've been able to like kind of like open up and discover slash unravel that part of yourself like in later into adulthood. Do you think that having these experiences like during your childhood like shaped what you wanted to be like as you grew up? Yeah,
2: I think so. Um, Not to say that I had any idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I've discussed this as well in length before, but um, I was at a complete crossroads at the end of my high school years. It seemed like everyone knew what they were doing, which I feel like a lot of people, again, it's that perception versus reality. Like I really perceived everyone around me knew what they wanted to do. So it put me in a panic and it made me really sad because I was like, oh no, like I have I have no purpose. I have no drive. I have no personal goals. There's not any like one thing I really enjoy, but I've definitely reflected on this before. And I think these earlier experiences in my childhood impacted me in a way that I feel like my emotional growth was placed on pause for a long time. Um, maybe it was to protect myself. Maybe it was a coping mechanism um, because it was very shocking. And I think the way it impacted my immediate family, too, was also very, very shocking. Um and I think during that period of time with all the love and support I got from friends, I felt a lot of that through my parents by means of like overprotection. So there were a lot of things that maybe if this hadn't happened, I would've been um, maybe more sociable. Maybe I would've been more comfortable in um, social gatherings or social settings with people. But I think, you know, me being socially anxious earlier in my childhood, And then this, uh, these set of experiences happening resulted in me being kind of like doubling down on that social anxiety. So it almost like, you know, my parents overprotection fed into my social anxiety, but then that fed back into their overprotection. So it was almost like by me becoming more and more socially anxious, I wasn't quote unquote causing problems for my parents. So they felt, I think more at ease. So things like, you know, um, There are plenty of stories of people like going out and like um, having fun with people. And uh, I'm trying to remember what was happening during my high school days. I definitely remember a lot of basement parties (laughs) with friends. Um, But I turned down many invitations to attend social gatherings because I didn't want to be in social environments, even with close friends of mine. Um, And I just felt like people didn't understand where I was coming from. That no matter how much I tried to tell people how I felt, I think I was in hindsight searching for a a level of validation that like no other person around me should necessarily feel obligated to fill. Um, It's not this whole uh, kind of raging sort of like, you don't get me, you don't understand my problems, right? But it is more of an objective. Like, you know, not everyone will completely understand what you're going through. And I think we or at least I felt like at that time I needed to understand that better and not blame other people for not understanding the struggles I was personally going through. And also I was just not opening up to anyone. So, you know, if you're not sharing those struggles with people, how will they know, first of all, that you're going through something, but secondly, you know, how might they, you know, try to support you? Um, So, Yeah, I would say I would say um, those experiences really shaped and informed what I wanted to do with my life. And I think because so much of my emotional growth was, I think, stunted and and pushed on pause for a few years. um, I think a lot of what I was thinking about doing as I entered college and finally made the decision of like what path I was going to take. A lot of what I do is very much behind the scenes. It's like my safety blanket, if you will. I don't like to put myself in the spotlight. I would much prefer uh, showcasing other people. Um, it has given me an opportunity to just grow in what I enjoy doing, which is just connecting with people. And that doesn't require me to you know, plaster my face on anything necessarily. Um, but I think as the years have passed, I've um, been continuing on this path of learning to love myself a little bit better. Um, And in turn, you know, maybe that does involve coming on a public platform or even a podcast like this one to share more of my personal experiences.
1: I'm also someone who, I study media. I'm also someone who, like, picks up a camera, like, regularly. I like doing, like, behind-the-scenes stuff and, like, producing things as well. Um, So I think that feeling of wanting to, like, showcase other people, like, really like makes sense. Um, I think I also have trouble like putting my face on something. I'd rather like make something that shows off someone else. Is there something that inspired you to get into photography?
2: When I entered college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So by, I guess, self-induced obligation, I told myself that I would uh, major in biochemistry do not ask me why I thought that was a good Thanks idea.
1: So
2: much. Um, I'm not. I'm not good. I'm not good at hard sciences. I am the kind of person where, like, I really need to study very, very hard in order to, um, quote unquote, succeed. However, you'd like to um, define that. But midway through college, I had in internship that I had kind of in conjunction with this major and I received a summer stipend and it was like a couple thousand dollars I was like oh my gosh I'm so rich like I don't know what to do with this money Um, my parents had suggested me to invest in maybe like a long-term hobby and my dad had, like many Asian dads out there, had a highly pricey DSLR, but he didn't really know how to use it. Um, so it always collected dust in our house. And I remember that summer I was like playing around with it. And he was like, well, why don't you just use the money you got from the stipend to um, just purchase your own camera? And I was like, oh, that's that's very interesting. I will think about that. And then I made the jump. I, got, I went to Best Buy, I think, and I got this discount on a special DSLR pack. And it came with a camera bag. And um, I, I don't I don't remember what else it came with. But I was very excited. I was like, this is such a big purchase. Like, this is so fun. So that's how I started in photography to begin with. And actually, right after that, I had an existential college life crisis and decided that I couldn't do biochemistry anymore. And that's when I pivoted to psychology and linguistics. Um, And the short end of the reason why I made that change was realizing like, I really love people, even though I'm socially anxious, even though um, being in social environments is not my favorite thing to do. I really enjoy human connection and people. I think I've always been fascinated by human motivation, human behavior, even in my own life, reflecting on like why do I act a certain way uh, in certain environments? Or how did my upbringing inform like the way I think now? So that's how I got into psychology. And linguistics, pretty funny story. I wanted to uh, kind of major in something else. So I searched on my university website and that was the suggested (laughs) compliment. So that's how I ended up there. And as time passed in college, I brought my camera everywhere. So I would be that friend. We'd go to like White Castle at 1 a.m. I have the camera. Oh, yes.
1: White Castle.
2: (laughs) Going to H Mart, DSLR. Yeah. Um, Going to McDonald's, (laughs) DSLR. Like I really brought it everywhere with me. And definitely on Facebook, I have years and years of just, it's almost like a a snapshot of how my life was uh, in college. I have things from uh, my sophomore year of college through my senior year. And um Yeah, I just love documenting things. I just love the idea of just everyday life. And um, I'm quite a sentimental person, too. So I just wanted to remember every little thing in my life. And when college ended, I stepped away from the photography for a bit, kind of had some time to deal with my mental health. And then right before I moved into New York, actually, um, I was working in the city and I had a couple friends who wanted to do some creative photos. I didn't really know what that meant, um, but they sent me some photos. I think at the time it was when like the bokeh and like having string lights around oh, you was so a
1: really big deal. So <laughs> true.
2: So we bought like a, like a 5 a $10 set off of Amazon. It was not the most glamorous thing. And we would just go all over the city and take pictures. And I think that was when it was like for me, oh, wow, this is kind of fun. Like maybe I want to... Um, kind of channel more of my energy into this, seeing as I was working and that was pretty monotonous. I wanted something outside of that to, I guess, help myself feel more fulfilled. So um, I actually secretly created my current photography Instagram account. I didn't tell any of my friends about it. And I started posting on there. And I found that to be really exciting and fun. I wanted to challenge myself in a way where um, you know, my friends didn't know. I think my whole idea was social desirability is a thing. And and not to say my friends wouldn't give me real feedback, but I'm the kind of person, too, where if I'm scrolling through social media, my friend posts something, I'll like it. But I really wanted yeah. to see, like, do people like my stuff? Like, am I capable of, like, learning yeah, and growing? Like
1: an organic, like, interaction, right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. I kind of wanted to start from complete, like, you know, ground up. So uh, I created that Instagram account. I just started asking friends if they wanted to take pictures. It was a really fun time. And then I think when I was at like 200 followers, um, someone DM'd me and I really thought like this is a serial killer. Like this is not a real person. But this girl's like, hey, like I'm uh, I'm from Georgia. I'm actually moving to Brooklyn in a few months. Um, You know, I'd love to connect with you and, and maybe we can like start working together and that's pretty much how my photography took off. I think working with this person, uh, she's still she's like one model. of my good... Uh, she's like an influencer blogger, um, but her following has grown a lot since. And I think that was the first like real networking relationship I formed with photography. And that afforded me a lot of opportunities to work with other people, kind of grow in my business a little bit more and just continue to meet new people um, and kind of get my work out there. So uh I really thank her so much for that. We're still friends to this day, which is just phenomenal. But um, that's that's pretty much how my photography started. And that's I don't, crazy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think many people know that, uh, but it started as an experiment, which is why uh, even if you are listening to this in the future, if you go to my Instagram bio, it says the first uh, kind of descriptor under my name says "sup." This is a test. That was my first caption I put in 2016 or 17. And you just kept it? I kept it there for myself. It's like a nice reminder of like, this is not something that I want to take completely seriously. Like, I want to remember why I started it. I started it for my own growth and for fun. And um, I hope to like not fully take it so, so seriously and um, to
1: just always enjoy myself when I uh, Hmm. engage with people. Yeah. I know like, Connecting with people is really hard. Like, how do you end up building that network of people from that f- first client slash relationship?
2: Uh, there's a lot of trial and error. I think a lot of first experiences are kind of intended for the trial and error. So, as I maintained my friendship with her, there were um, many people that kind of entered my hemisphere, and there are some people who seemed genuine. And were not actually very genuine, which was, I think, very sad for me to realize. Um, I think there are other people who maybe tried to exploit or take advantage of the work that I do, which is also sad. But I think what really has solidified my current um, set of connections with people is what you had talked about earlier, which is ACN, which is, I think, for anyone who doesn't know, it's the Asian Creative Network. So. Um, I don't even remember how I found out about it. Maybe they had posted about it in Subtle Asian Traits or something, and I was really intrigued. I was like, oh, wow, you know, um, up until that point, I knew a couple Asian creatives in New York here and there, but it was all very much like uh, (laughs) together alone where we're all kind of respecting each other's hustle but kind of doing our own thing. Uh, Maybe we'd occasionally meet each other at events, but it's very, very scarce. Um, when ACN first came up, I really took that mentality of like, I need to step out of my comfort zone and constantly shoot my shot, especially early on when there was a lot of traction, um, not just for my own business or anything, but like to really, um, see which genuine people in the space, um, I was ready to get to know at that time. So I think, uh, I posted my work at the very, very beginning of when this group had, uh, come to fruition. And then I started to see other folks kind of come into this group and um, put in, like, job opportunities. So um, I had seen there's a group initiative in the city called the Cosmos. And one of the co-founders, one of the co-founders, Cassandra, she posted on ACN and said, hey, we have a, like, market event that's coming up and we'd love to... Um, we'd love to work with an Asian photographer. And I think she had not posted it too recently. I think it had been a couple days. So I saw there were a lot of comments and I was like, all right, there's no way she's going to pick me, but you know, why not? Got to shoot my shot. (laughs) But what I noticed when I uh, clicked through all the comments, every single person who commented was male. Yikes. (laughs) I I thought that was really interesting because I had kind of searched the cosmos to learn more about what the initiative was about. And I was like, This is so fascinating because I'd had some one-off conversations with people about the scarcity of Asian female creatives and Asian female photographers in New York. I hadn't worked with too many. I hadn't really heard of too many. So it was unsurprising but still simultaneously jarring when I saw that um, set of comments under that post. So I was like, all right, maybe I do have an edge here. So I... (laughs) I wrote a little comment and then uh, she reached out to me. We had a back and forth. I remember we hopped on what was supposed to be like a 30 minute phone call to discuss logistics. And it turned to two hours of us talking about the necessity of representation in like the New York space and just in in media today. It was it was just
1: Dang. such a
2: fruitful conversation. And that for me was like a great affirmation of, OK, I don't know that uh, the founder of ACN necessarily thought that these sorts of conversations would come out of creating a group like this. But I was, I just felt so much pride in that moment. Um, and I don't think I'd ever really like experienced that before. I think there's always just this baseline, like, I'm so happy to be Chinese American, like I love <laughs> being myself. But I think really uh, intersecting that identity with my photography and my creative work, that was definitely a first for me following that two hour uh, chat. So that um, event led to me connecting to so many people because there were a lot of vendors at that event, yeah. and there were also a lot of just uh, other Asian folks that showed up to this event. So they had seen my work. After that's how I started working with Slanted Media. That's how I started. I love working. Slanted. I love Slanted as well. That's how I started working with um, Shop Covery. They're like sunglasses brand. Um, and it it just kind of went from there and the thing is like i never thought about it as business first i really thought about it as connections first and i think that's what has helped me to connect to people more authentically in this space i yeah i always thought about just creating relationships with people first because like i said sup this is a test my photography has always been a test for me it's always just been uh, an experimental playground of sorts. And, you know, I have the capability of peeling myself out of that identity, you know, and remembering I'm a human being first and foremost, and in the same way, the other folks who I get to network with and meet in this space are also human first and foremost. And I think that's what makes our connections so authentic. And I think that's also just naturally what has kept us all continuing to work together. Um, so I'm, I don't know if that answered your question, but
1: that does. That also kind of answered the second question I was going to ask. I was going to ask you how you keep it like it's a test uh, versus because versus like making it making it feel like work all the time, because I know like being in ACN is kind of stress. It was definitely kind of stressful at the beginning because a lot of people would be posting opportunities like every day. And I would be so, like, I would, like, want to shoot my shot. But then I'd be like, oh, shoot, I'm not prepared. Look at all these, like, real adults. Because I was only, like, 17 or 18. I guess going off of building community with, like, Slanted and, like, the Cosmos and all of these very cool people, how do you feel, like, being an Asian American woman kind of affects and informs the way that you move through these kinds of spaces and, like, How does it affect your work? Because I know you also mentioned uh, being like very few Asian female photographers in New York.
2: Yeah, Um, honestly, I think this is something I'm personally still exploring. I think I've barely kind of tapped the surface of of this question. Um, But like I mentioned earlier, uh, the understanding that there were a lack of Asian female photographers, at least in my immediate vicinity, was felt like very early
1: on. Um, yeah, mine too. Yeah, I feel like I've been surrounded by guys who take photos for my whole life.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it is interesting, you know. I, I'm, I think what has helped me feel less, uh, less like I'm in a vacuum is maintaining solidarity with other. Asian female identifying folks in the space whether it's photography or any other endeavor that they're pursuing i think that that has just helped me feel less alone and i think a mindset that i've adapted very early on with my photography is very much like i'm in my own lane i think what does set me apart uh is the the things that i post on my uh instagram for example um and that's in two parts i think one is the actual work that I'm posting. I don't see many people who are collaging the work in the same way. Yeah. Um, so I really like when I put those things together, I I do it for myself. It's just so fun and cathartic. And I really love and enjoy going back to uh, photo shoots or previous photo sessions and finding different angles of the body and different movement. And just, I don't know, just somehow putting them together in a way that I really enjoy And I think the second part um, is just the combination of what I choose to post, uh, both text-wise and photo-wise. So I think like you had mentioned in the introduction, I do talk a lot about my mental health and wellness. And something that I found out maybe a few years ago is that I personally feel a lot of catharsis in just – Saying everything I choose to say on a public platform. And I can understand how people might think that that may seem a little bit self serving or that might seem like I'm trying to get people's attention. And I can totally see where people are coming from with that. But I think because growing up, I concealed a lot of my feelings and I held a lot of things in, it's almost like the complete opposite end of the spectrum where I kind of need to just um, say everything I need to say in a given experience in order to. I guess have have a, a very healthy emotional release. So I think very early on, um, as I explored more about what my depression and my mental health was really looking like, I normalized it in my own personal life to just share about those experiences. If I'm having a really off day, um, I'll write about it even in like the notes app. Like I'll just type out how I'm feeling and think about, you know, what that might be connected to or, um, you know, why I might be feeling that way. And if, There's not really a real reason. That's okay. And I think the important part is to like validate the experiences. So I really took that experience and then my photos, put them together and really just told myself because I'm in my own lane photo wise, that also means that I can potentially pave my way for how I choose to post and how I want to exist in the space. Um, I think it's really easy to feel the burnout. I'm not saying I'm exempt from it because I definitely feel waves of that pressure to need to post certain things at a certain time because the algorithm is like not great and you Instagram know Instagram
1: algorithm every day
2: <laughs> right and then you get upset if you know you don't get the anticipated response that you wanted and i am constantly riding the fine line between those pressurized expectations and then what i was sharing before about in my ideal state how i choose to use my platform is how i want to use it um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know that, you know, that ha- like kind of paving my own way has necessarily intersected with my identity as an Asian woman in the space. But I think in those moments when I feel really alone in identifying with all of these identities in my experience, um, I really look towards the kind of solidarity that I've gained from the people I've worked with. And, there are there are loyal followers who have um stuck around for <laughs> for quite a while. And I think for people to just resonate with what I do, I think supersedes um, you know, my identities as an Asian person, as an Asian American, as an Asian American female, as an Asian American female photographer.
1: So that's so crazy. I think that definitely does make a lot of sense because when I saw your work, I was like, no one else is doing it like her. Uh, just with like all the collage with like the waves, it's just like fits so well into like, you know, increasing the vibe of every photo. So to hear you say that you also perceive yourself as being in your own lane, I think that's really interesting. Something I also want to incorporate more into my mentality. Um, but we'll see if I can find a thing. But, yeah, going back to like mental health, I'd just love to um talk more about like your podcast and how I guess maybe that has been a healing space for you. Uh, how does that maybe scratch an itch for you or become like a healing space? yeah, um
2: it's been it's been a pretty turbulent ride, actually, so I started that podcast. At the starting, yeah, yeah, in 2019, and I took I took months to plan that out. I think even the idea had been in my mind for a while. But I'm the kind of person where I get really excited about something, and then I'm not always capable of finishing or staying true to a project. I love starting a lot of new things at the same time.
1: So I really yeah, wanted to. Starting the best. So wait, no, sorry, keep no, going. It's
2: okay. Um, yeah, I just really wanted to make sure I was doing it for the right reasons and that my intentions were good, right? And that um, if I wanted to actually start this, that I would see it through um, no matter how long that period of time would be. So um, like I was saying before, just needing that space to be cathartic and just share everything about my life, I thought, you know, if I want this space to be an environment where if I have certain guests on that be able to have open dialogues I need to be open too so that's why the first episode is really me talking about my own upbringing how the accident I was in as a child informed and shaped who I am today just as a person Um, and just my journey into photography yeah
1: I was surprised by how vulnerable you were like on this great big internet of ours um, just like talking about everything Did you like write it all out or was it just like something that like came out of you because you'd been thinking about it for a long time?
2: Um, So no, I didn't. I didn't write any script of any kind. I just I just plugged my mic into my laptop, opened GarageBand and then just started talking. And I think the interesting thing, interesting thing about that, too, is I actually had recorded a first episode, I think, two or three months prior to the final recording that's now available publicly. And I was so cryptic in it. And then I remember listening back to it. I was just skating around a lot of things. And I was like, this is not enjoyable for any listener. But I think more than the enjoyability level, it just, I was not being vulnerable. And it just didn't feel right for me to, you know, start a podcast where I'd like to be vulnerable and share in very real dialogue with other peers of mine, in the Asian community, by me not being open either. So I, I literally I deleted the file, and I just started over. And yeah, there, there was no script. But um, I, I, I really, I really enjoyed starting it. And I had a few guests on I actually still have um, some, quote, unquote, lost episodes in my hard drive that I never posted. But um, I took a pause midway through 2019 or it was like right before fall of 2019 because I had graduated from grad school that year. And I had started working at a really toxic startup. And yeah, it it took up a lot of my emotional capacity and my mental capacity. Um, It really left me a shell of myself. It was not, it was a very unpleasant experience. But I think after I left that startup, I needed some time to recuperate and figure out how I existed as a human being. And then I actually restarted my podcast this year. Mm -hmm. So um, there are only a couple episodes out from this year. Um, And I originally had I have some pre recorded episodes, too. But I actually have not added anything new in the last month because of I think what's Happened lately with the Asian hate, I I would say for the most part it is very much a healing space. But I think my process of planning, especially when unexpected things come up, turns into less of a healing space and becomes very pressurized. You know how we were talking about um, mm-hmm. kind of pressurized uh, uh, opportunity here and there. Like I just really felt like I um, was getting too ahead of myself. I wanted the episode on talking about my feelings with the Asian hate to be perfect, whatever perfect meant. Like, I think I wanted to make sure I captured every feeling I was feeling and articulated it properly. But just as I was ready to do that, something new would come up and then something else would come up. And I found myself, I think just mentally becoming so overly saturated by what was going on that I think just as a human being, I became very overwhelmed. So I just took a step back from everything. So um, I wouldn't say my podcast at this moment is my healing space, but I have definitely engaged in a lot of very healing dialogues while I've recorded um, my episodes. And there's one that I'm hoping to post really soon. I uh, chatted with a friend who is in college as well. And um, she and I had a really nice conversation about um, Asian grandmas and cooking and um <laughs> I think like the fear of cultural erasure. So it was just a really great conversation and hopefully that will be up soon. But yeah, currently it's it's not really a healing space, but I think everyone is finding their healing in in different ways. So
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard for creating content to be healing at a time like this. Because it's like, I mean, creating content is kind of performative um, in that like you're making it for other people to see so having the pressure to be topical and timely when like all these sorts of things are happening is really difficult and like I definitely can see why like you would not want to not want to just kind of like put yourself out there just to like you know have like a perfect and like shiny thing
2: yeah I think I think just in my own personal life it's been hard to process it Right. I think a lot of us, um, I think just as we think, like I was saying, just as we think we've processed it enough, something else might come up or something in our kind of emotional exploration um, derails things a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely challenging. And I, I think even with my photography as well, I've started to feel that pressure build up again, you know, where I feel that duality of like, I know this is my experimental playground, but I feel like especially at a time like this, feel like every move I make has to be meaningful. It has to signify um, that I'm like a, a, not that I'm not a strong advocate, but like I almost need to, yeah,
1: you need position, to prove yourself, right? Yeah.
2: That I need to position myself in a way where my non-Asian friends who are connected to me through that platform can also be aware. Um, so I definitely am reflecting a lot about the decisions I want to make in in that capacity. But I think also. You know, I know I'm a human being first and foremost, and I think until I um, am able to sort things out personally, I think it might be hard to, um, I think, post freely or, um, you know, engage with my experimental photography playground. So,
1: I, I definitely experience, like, the same thing. It's like there's, like, a need to, like, prove yourself to other people and be like, I, I'm speaking out so that you know that I care, but, like, you know, why do I why do I need to do that?
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely very much a push and pull, both in my personal life, but then also in my photography life, where, you know, I'm so proud of the many friends I've met through like means of networking who are just doing so much and using their voices very publicly to um, advocate for change. Whether that's you know starting their own like fundraising initiatives or, um, you know. Uh, like creating rooms on Clubhouse to have further discussions or creating healing spaces for people. I think that's so wonderful. And I try to participate whenever I can. Um, But I also feel in the back of my mind, like, oh, like, why am I not doing more? Shouldn't I be doing more? Shouldn't I be using my voice for something bigger and better? But interestingly, in my personal life, I've had a lot of conversations with friends where we do also kind of talk about that duality of friends who choose to post on social media or repost things and then the friends who choose not to. And I think that can also just spiral into a whole other conversation.
1: I've definitely
2: (laughs) definitely had a lot of dialogues with people about, um, you know, if, if you aren't the kind of person who posts that much on social media and you don't post on social media now, does that mean that you're not any stronger of an advocate? Because just, you know, posting on social media is more of an awareness thing. It can be potentially performative, um, but you, you know you know what you're doing in your personal life. If you're having engaging in challenging dialogues with people, or um, you know taking action as you will outside of the social media space, like does that make you a less strong advocate because you didn't choose to repost something everyone else is reposting? So it's definitely a conversation I've had with many people, and is something I'm reflecting on in my personal life. But yeah, it, it is weird that I kind of split off that uh, conversation from what I do with my photography, because then I keep telling myself I should be doing more. I should, I should create more opportunities to fundraise, or I should be speaking out more on these things, or maybe I should be more vulnerable about these areas of my life. But I think I work myself into a stupor and then just don't really do anything, mm-hmm. which is kind of debilitating.
1: Having talked about your photography and like how that's been going for you and like how like the space that you see it as how do you balance all of this on top of like working full-time which I think you are still doing if I am correct
2: yeah yeah so I work full-time in tech so um it is difficult I'll admit it I'm I'm very bad at balancing um work and personal life and I am definitely the kind of person where uh I'm most successful in compartmentalizing things when I have different physical environments for them. So I think working from home has been really hard for me on a personal level. And I have consistently been struggling in and out with um, making that clear separation between this is when I'm working, this is when I'm not working um, over the course of this last year plus. Um, But I think what I have been doing for myself is creating set deadlines for myself like this is officially when I'm going to stop working it doesn't matter if I feel like I should be doing more or that I didn't do enough this day like this is my hard stop and then I give myself an hour to like cook dinner or watch youtube or listen to some music just kind of cleanse my palate and get away from work and then I see where my capacity is. Like usually I'll put on like a podcast or I'll watch, I love true crime. So I'll put on like a true crime, um, something from YouTube or Netflix or something. And then I just work on editing pictures. I think, you know, I, I try to keep it as light as possible. So even if I'm not posting anything, that I'm still, um, you know, not not letting my, my creative muscle atrophy, if you will. So um, I think that's, currently how I've been setting it up for myself um, because I haven't really posted too consistently especially over this last year plus Um, I've been struggling a lot actually with figuring out how to get back into uh, you know finding that nice balance consistently again I feel like I actually had the best work photography balance when I was at my crazy startup job in 2019 which is very ironic because although I did not feel much like myself, especially when I was at work, I think in a way I felt a desperation to kind of cling on to my photography even more. To have an outlet, right? Exactly. So I think i that's really where I like poured out so much of my time and energy. And I think to be honest now, like, um, my work is a bit time intensive, so... I can't necessarily like always clock out early. So I have found myself honestly like working until 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. And by that time, it is difficult because I'm just exhausted. So then I'd rather just watch something mindless and, and not work on anything. And I think because I do portrait photography mainly, I just haven't been able to meet people. I'm trying to stay safe so and make sure other people are safe as well. So um, like last year, for example, I think I only – Worked with four or five clients out of the entire year, which is very, very small. Um, But I feel like, with the rate at which things go, fingers crossed, um, with vaccinations and everything um, coming out right now, um, I've slowly been starting to work with people. I actually did a maternity shoot for a friend recently, and she was like, I want to go extra. And I was like, What do you mean? And she was like, I want to wear this. And she sent me this Pinterest photo. It, it just reminded me of like the Beyonce shoot when she was announcing like, um, I think the birth of her twins, right? Does she have twins? I should probably know that. People will probably uh, crucify me for this. I'm <laughs> sorry. I, um,
1: I can't help you with
2: this. It's okay. So, you know, she had like a baby announcement and she had like the craziest like regal looking shots. It was this girl, she sent me this photo of, it's like a tulle dress and it was just so loud and large and flouncy Mm -hmm. and she's like I want to wear this and like go to a field and just like take a picture of this and I was like yes I am game for this I'm so down like you want to go extra I'll go I'll go the extra mile with you and then some and we actually did this very recently and we went out to a field and um, I actually just sent her the photos I think like a couple days ago and I don't think I've had that much fun on a shoot in a really long time and I think that kind of unadulterated fun was a big core part of why I started my photography in the first place. It's just fun and I love people and I just love being able to empower people through my photography. I think that's been really touching and One experience I do remember from a few years back, there was a client who reached out to me. She said, hey, like, I want my photos taken um, in front of the Brooklyn Bridge, which... Uh, Ah, yes, a classic. The classic brownstone and bridge. And I was like, say no more. I do that location with tons of clients. Like, I got you. And she and I started chatting. I was asking her what she was looking for. And what I gathered was she wanted photos to commemorate herself feeling beautiful in her own skin and she shared with me that that was not something that she had felt very deeply for most of her life and she had seen my work and it it made her feel a certain way and she was hoping Mm -hmm. that I would be able to capture that for her and yes this was like paid work right but Mm -hmm. I approached that project that session with just so much feeling. And it made it for me after I delivered that project and that session. I think it affirmed for me like why I enjoy photography so much. like, yeah, the collages are fun. Yeah, the swirls are fun. It's my experimental playground, this and that. But this really goes back to like why I decided to pursue psychology, why even though I was really socially anxious growing up that I still um, had a fascination for like people and human beings um, just to connect with someone on that kind of intimate level, I feel like with uh, the creative space, maybe there's this sense of this overly marketed like saturation of you know how things look on the outside it's all superficial right um mm-hmm. I feel like that's i guess maybe a general sense of, of how the space can look, but I think to do what I do, and then still have such a real connection with someone. Like we never spoke again after that session, but I will always remember that experience. And it really affirmed for me. Like I really enjoy this. I really love it. I love connecting with people I wouldn't otherwise connect with. Um, I'm a lot more sociable present day, but I do still uh, experience social anxiety from time to time. But I think in general, for me to be able to connect with people I wouldn't otherwise connect with by a medium like this is not something I expected when I secretly created my Instagram like four or five years ago so
1: photography feels really cathartic because you can make someone else like feel good about themselves and especially having stories like that for like something as important as a maternity shoot or just to like have like those like first good photos of yourself a lot of people don't really have like great photos of themselves so when they get those photos in they're like wow i look like this i can look like this
2: and i think yeah i think too like i've definitely reflected on this as well with my own personal life experiences i think this i think my deep connection to this is very much a mirror reflection of what i personally desire and i think because of the accident i was in as a child I had a lot of self-image issues, and one of those things was largely revolved around getting my own picture taken. I really hated getting my picture taken. I think still to this day I have, I personally have a mild phobia with cameras, Um, but I think for me to feel the way I feel about getting my picture taken and always hoping like, I, I want to get pictures taken of me and feel happy in my own skin and not feel like I need to change anything I hope to emulate that feeling for the people I meet. So to mm-hmm. have other people feel be- feel beautiful in their own skin is really important to me. So I think it's it's like doubly affirming, not just for whoever I'm working with, but I think it's also just a reflection back to like what my maybe what my deepest desires are. Um, and I I just like would never want anyone to feel the way that I felt growing up, um, where I just personally internalized. Not being good enough, and I think having a fear because i I never really like um, publicly chatted about the this incident I was in when I was younger all the time, uh, so I would just never say anything about it and I think in doing so, I just internalized a lot of you know how I thought people saw me and yeah, I just i I would never wish that on anyone and I think in a way, by continuing to do photography, showcasing other people, helping other people feel comfortable in their own skin, that I'm maybe uh, comforting some childhood version of me that exists somewhere in the universe. The inner child. Yeah, I guess so.
1: We finish up every show with a Dear Asian Americans letter. So think about it as if you were writing a short letter to all of our listeners and to the larger AAPI community. So what Message, advice, thought, would you want to share about your personal journey? Dear Asian Americans, be proud of who you are.
2: Know that all of your experiences are valid and have shaped who you are today. Remember that that we're each carving our own paths and paving our own ways for our futures and as easy as it is to rely on circumstances and other people in this world remember who you exist as um, and afford yourself the opportunities to feel what you're feeling, feel your happiness, experience your sadness, uh, marinate in your anger when appropriate. (laughs) Um, And always take time to get in touch with and get in tune with yourself and know that there are always opportunities to learn and grow every day. It's very vague, but.
1: No, thank you. I think it's touched on a lot of things that we talked about today. Also a lot of what I've been thinking about because I'm rising senior, I'm about to be post, I'm I'm thinking about my post-grad life very intensely. So I think those words are very helpful I'm sure many of our, many of the people who are listening to this will resonate with it. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Where can people find you?
2: You can find me um, through my photography Instagram. So that's at tiffgifphotog, T-I-F-F-G-I-F-P-H-O-T-O-G. Um, And you can also find my podcast, which is the Window Gain Podcast, also on Instagram. And the handle name for that is at window, W-I-N-D-O-W-G-A-A-I-N.
1: All right. Thank you so much. This was a really cool conversation.
0: Thank you so much uh, to Marva and for and to Tiffany for sharing this great conversation. I learned so much listening to Tiffany's story and just um, and inspired uh, to take action to really weave our personal mission and uh, just all that we do. Um, shout out to Cass, former guest of ours uh, from Cosmos mentioned on the show. Shout out to Hanju, creator of the Asian Creative Network, also uh, on this show. Um, just feeling so blessed to hear such familiar names of friends, um, as they are mentioned as points of inspiration and motivation and action, uh, in in the lives of so many amazing uh, Asian Americans. Um, please check out all of Tiff's links, uh, here in the show notes. Also check out Marva. And as a reminder, as we said at the top of the show, uh, do check out New York city, Asian American student conference this Saturday at NYSAC, N-Y-C-A-A-S-C.com. Uh, Visit us at DearAsianAmericans.com or Instagram at DearAsianAmericans. We're working on some really cool things. Um, We are uh, partnering with uh, the United States Department of Health and Human Services to get a vaccine campaign out. And uh, in May, we're going to be introducing to you a very exciting campaign and collaboration that we are working on uh, with with a great partner of ours. Um, Ways to support the show. uh, Just comment, like, share whatever you see on social media. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you are able to and would like to support us financially, uh, jump on over to our Instagram page. You can go to bit.ly slash DAA shop to grab some DAA merch or just go to buyjerryacoffee.com and you'll be able to uh, support us financially, support me in the work that I do here. Uh, check out the rest of our Just Like Media shows. We are excited to continue the production of MB Asians, Chanchi Show, and Korean American Parenting. Thank you so much for tuning in for all, that, uh, for all that you do to support Asian American storytelling. Big shout out to Marva. We got two more episodes with Mar- uh, Marva before the end of the month. And again, a big, big shout out and a thank you to TIFF. So wherever you are, whenever you may be listening to this, as we always do, we wish you nothing but health, safety, and happiness. This has been Jerry Wan and signing off on episode 108 of Dear Asian Americans.